comes another edition of Talking Foosball Direct, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman. This week, you can say we're kind of in the middle of a swirling storm of storylines. We got results from the English Ovoja. We've got DFB Pokal coming up on deck. The transfer window is about to shut. Woo. With me to weather this maelstrom is Kit Holden. He's actually over in, in I guess, maybe more typhoon country, as it happens. Vietnam. How's it going over there? Yeah, it's good. Good. Uh, great great to be here from Vietnam. It is morning in Vietnam, so I can say in all good faith, good morning, Vietnam, I guess. <laughs> nice. Nice. You know, I'm going to have to say Robin Williams probably said it with a little bit more oomph. That is not a dare. That's not, I'm not telling you to do that, but, uh, you know. He was he, and I am I. <laughs> I know. Did he ever write a book about SFC Union Berlin? I don't think so. Oh, exactly. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So basically, this shows you the lengths we're willing to go to here on Talking Foosball to maintain a sense of continuity and tradition. It would be wrong for us to have a show on a Berlin Derby weekend without Kit Holden. And, you know, just because he's over in Vietnam doesn't mean he's not willing to talk about the game. Uh, we'll, we'll hit more of that shortly. We'll also hear about your interesting viewing experience in Hanoi, along with the best and the rest of Match Day 18 or something close to it. In the meantime, please do subscribe to the pod. Leave us a five-star rating if you like. If you really like us, become a supporter on Patreon. It helps the show. Keep on trucking. All right, here comes part one of Talking Foosball Direct, the part where we talk about the best of the match day just gone. This was match day 18. Of course, we had match day 17 since our last episode. And we got DFB Pokal coming up. We got the transfer window shutting. I alluded to it at the top of the show. Things are coming thick and fast. Kit is in Vietnam. You know, he, he watched the Derby, but not a lot else. Although, you know, you can't keep him away from all things Bundesliga, when he, even when he's far away. But we're going to sort of restrict our purview on this particular episode, mostly to the Berlin Derby and to the travails of one FC Bayern München. Played three games this past week, collected three points. That's the story in and of itself. But I really think we probably should start with where Kit's heart and my heart, unfortunately, lie. That's the Berlin Derby. It was a 2-0 win for Union over Hertha. I mean, who's keeping count? But uh, it's the fifth straight Derby win. <laughs> For Union, Danilo Duki and Paul Seguin were the goal scorers. I think, at least from observers from the press stand and, and others, there was a lot of feeling that Hertha played better in this game than they had in a game against Union in some time, but that didn't count for much. And I think we're really seeing a, a, a long-term changing of the guard at this point. I, I, it's hard for me to, to assess things in much of any other way. What do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, I think there's been some interesting figures like, like sort of bouncing around Twitter and the media in the last couple of days and before this game sort of suggesting that even kind of in terms of TV money and, and annual revenues and everything, Onion are now just beginning to to potentially get to a place where they, they're edging ahead of Hertha. I mean, I think 
well, I mean, a, a lot depends obviously on what happens on the pitch. And if had to go down, then then you might very much be looking at, at two very different trajectories in the next few years, which which completely changes the dynamic of it. But I think it, it, if they stay in the league, the kind of the size of of Hertha and their fan base and their their tradition, and their history is is such that I can't see them totally, totally sort of surrendering ground us as the number one club or at least the joint number one club in Berlin to Union because I think that's just how the city works. You know, there's not it's not like they're kind of fighting for the same fan base. They've both got their kind of separate constituencies and and they're pretty kind of ring fenced. But yeah, certainly on the pitch there's not much speaking in in your club's favour at the moment, Matt. Which which I yeah, I can genuinely say I'm I'm also not entirely happy about, you know, even as an Union fan, I don't particularly want to see how to go down or continue to be in such dire straits because, yeah, there are just, well, as far as I'm concerned, to be brutal, other clubs in the league I'd, I'd rather see go down to the second division. So. Yeah, yeah, which which ones? Just just so I know. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> just uh, yeah, you give, give me five minutes and I'll, I'll invite the wrath of about 75% of all talking foosballs <laughs> avid listeners by, by slagging off their clubs. Yeah, it's a, a miserable situation for Hatta and, and a good one for anyone. But I kind of, yeah, I do agree with that, with that general kind of um, take that people had that had to quite play quite well in that game and, and played, you know, I mean, it, I think it, it, it's testament to the fact that Schwartz does have some kind of concrete ideas and knows what he's doing with this team, that he had a, a very reasonable plan against Union, which worked pretty well and probably would have got results if the team were more confident and more in their flow and able to take their chances. And that's kind of the reality of a relegation fight is that often that's not the case. But yeah, the signs were still in, in some way good. It's not all kind of massively doom and gloom. Do you have any explanation for me or for the listeners as to how Danilo Doki is hot as lava at the moment? I mean, he's been mentioned plenty of times, but four shots on goal, four goals. Four headers, right? Yeah, four headers. Are they all set pieces as well? The explanation is is a, is a very easy two-word explanation. It's Christopher Trimmel. Yeah, I mean, sure. I'd yeah, have yeah. to double-check it, but I think all those four goals have been assisted by Trimmel. If not, then at least two or three of them have. And yeah, that's basically it. The man can swing in a corner or a free kick from deep onto the head of a very tall man very, very well. That's that's probably the main reason he's a very good Bundesliga footballer. And he's now got another very, very tall man to, to aim for. He can head the ball pretty well, apparently. So yeah, it's just, you know, football. I, when I was watching, I turned to the um, guy next to me, the Vietnamese fan of Union I was watching with and declared in simple English, football is simple. Tremel, Duki, goal. That's pretty much it. Nice. I, you know, I do confess that since I'm not a fully paid up subscriber to the Tagesspiegel newspaper, that this is where you earn your keep for the most part when you're writing about uh, Union in German. I wasn't able to read the article that you wrote about taking in the derby in Hanoi with at least one and perhaps more Union fans. How, how did that all go down? What, what was the experience like? Uh, yeah, a, a bit surreal. There, there were two, technically, Onion fans, but the, the second Onion fan was the five-year-old daughter of the first Onion fan, and she <laughs> was was wearing a lot of Onion stuff, but didn't really have much idea what was what was going on football-wise. And yeah, no, it was it was great. I met up with Hong Duck in Hanoi to watch the derby, and he runs the the Onion Vietnam fan page. He's actually also, uh, which which I kind of liked, as you know, from as somebody who knows my sort of other sympathies as well. He, he is also the chairman of the FC Bayern 
fan club official left to buy in fan club in Vietnam. Wow. Does he like West Ham too? <laughs> yeah. He's got a soft spot for, for Wolves and uh, avidly supports Wales and Denmark. But yeah, no, but yeah, no he uh, proudly showed me pictures of the... So this this poor man, by the way, he has supported Bayern on you know pretty much all his life since the mid nineties. Has become enchanted with them in the last few years. Finally gets to go to Germany for the first time in his life a couple of years ago for work. So decides he's going to go and try and see Bayern play at the Allianz Arena and Bayern play on Union. And he gets to the first game, but the second game happens to be Bayern's first game at the Altfest Array because he's going in March 2020. So his once in a lifetime trip to Berlin to see the Altfest Array is, is cut short by COVID. So yeah, I was I was oh. just deeply devastated on his behalf. But he seemed very very philosophical about it and uh, proudly showed me pictures of him standing with the the statue outside the Altfest Array, draped in a in a Bayern scarf and wearing a Bayern shirt, which was I died. I mean, I was just yeah very very taken with him, and he was a very very charming and lovely guy who just yeah took me out and. Uh, he had a nice, nice couple of beers and, and watched the football, which was very surreal. And everyone else in the bar was completely baffled as to why we were so excited about this game. But yeah, and that's when it's best in some ways. Yep, yep. When it's uh, you know sort of a, sort of a lone pursuit that others are scratching their heads at. Another English guy in like another corner of the room watching Middlesbrough on his phone, being equally loud. So it was sort of weird kind of football dystopian <laughs> future where <laughs> nobody's watching the same game. Everyone's really excited. <laughs> very nice, very nice. I understand that one of your colleagues at Tagesspiegel was prepared to sort of ask a bigger picture question, not just about the measuring stick within, you know, the city of Berlin, but, you know, about where Union stand now. I mean, they are, you know, very close to the top in this league right now. There's a term in German that you might, you know, equate to being called a top team, a Spitzen team or a Spitzen club. What's the answer to that? And does the possible slash probable arrival of one Isco answer that question for you? Yeah. So I think I think Rani Kadira, I think, was asked this question quite doggedly by the by the pack of reporters after the game, it seems. And they, they sort of really wanted to get an answer out of him. You know, does this mean Union second again and three wins in a row? Does this mean they are a genuine contender, I guess, is, a, is one way of looking at it for, for the title and, you know, an established top team rather than just a kind of overachieving small or mid-range club? And I think for the first time, I mean, there were still the kind of usual platitudes about 40 points being the being the goal. Until then, you don't set any new goals and all the rest of it. But for the first time, there seemed to be a kind of acknowledgement that maybe that is the direction they feel themselves going in. He, he said something along the lines of what well, even is a Spitzen team. But I think it's undeniable that we have the momentum behind us at the moment, which which is, you know, in, in kind of diplomatic footballer speak, actually, actually reasonably bold a statement and particularly by on your standards anyway. So, yeah, I think there is a, a, a lot of confidence and certainly a, a player. I mean, you know, when, when Juranovic arrived a couple of weeks ago, People at Union were saying, wow, we really have entered a completely new you know, territory here because we're signing a, a player from a club like Celtic and, and you know, he's a World Cup third place finisher. And, you know, this is a completely new, new stratosphere that we're operating in. I don't think anyone would have expected two weeks later to be reading reports about Isco being on his way to Berlin for a medical at Union because... That's yeah, just that really is a totally new stratosphere. It's not even you know, it's, it's yeah, it's just not an exaggeration to say that. And I think to have a player like that coming in and it's not gone through yet, but the fact that they've given up Paraguchi and the fact that you know Kicker reporting it and things seems that you know even if it fails, it was at least close to happening. The fact that it was close to happening 
suggest that Onion are kind of beginning to attract, okay, it's a special case with this guy, you know, he, he doesn't have a club at the moment. He's, he's looking around for maybe something different. It's a bit of a kind of similar thing to maybe like Raul at Schalke 10 years ago, where, you know, it's a bit of a curveball and a, and a one-off, but at the same time, he still wants to go there. And yeah, if he is there, then suddenly they do look a bit different in terms of just the kind of the aims they can set themselves and the the kind of caliber of on the experience of a player like that to be able to say, well, look, this is how you win a title. This is how you win a major trophy. And yeah, if Bayern keep struggling and, and if other teams keep struggling and Onion can avoid the kind of dip they had just before Christmas, which is a lot of ifs, then, you know, who knows? Maybe they will still be within three or four, five points of the top, you know, uh, in late April, early May, and then and then everything's up for grabs. So, yeah, we'll see. But I, I think basically the, the consensus is in the past, everyone would have said, no, 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 definitely not a Spitzen team. We're, we're fighting against relegation first and foremost. Now that mood is beginning to shift. Yeah, the 40-point goal is quite likely to be met in the coming weeks. <laughs> if not, uh, well, you could get to 39 next week. I guess I want to sort of switch gears a little bit and, you know, talk about Hertha. Not only was this a really disappointing result for them, not only given the five Derby losses in a row factor and the fact that they actually played pretty well but lost nonetheless, but the club's penchant for veering (laughs) suddenly and sharply from sort of pillar to post happened again. Freddie Bobic, who of course was brought in as the sort of savior figure a year and a half ago, you know, coming over from Eintracht Frankfurt where he had done so much good work, is suddenly out. Apparently, Kai Bernstein, the new president, along with the rest of the members of the uh, the board, the sort of executive board of the club, were unanimous in recommending letting him go. I thought that was, at the very least, a surprising move in terms of timing, if not surprising in terms of, you know, performance. I'm not really sure what this particular move of getting rid of a sporting director three days before the transfer window is about to shut and with a team that kind of is what it is, what happens with it on the pitch is somebody else's business, frankly. I don't understand particularly what is going on here. I assume that there's, you know, other storylines at play. Some folks have said stuff about an automatically, you know, a contract that would roll over, that Hertha would be on the hook for a lot more of Freddie Bobic if they didn't get rid of him soon. I've heard that there's some serious personality conflicts behind the scenes. Does this make any sense to you? I mean, I guess those last two explanations kind of make the most sense of the timing to me. I think I think it's, it seems pretty clear that Bobic is not Bernstein's man, and that you know they they have not seen, even though you know Bernstein said they left on good terms, they've not seen entirely eye to eye on on major things, which is a I think a, a reasonable reason for a board or a president to say, well, you know, we shouldn't work with this guy then, and if there is an element of a technicality in the contract or you know a kind of administrative reason to do that with that kind of timing, then I guess. That's what you do. I think it was odd to do it so quickly after the derby. I think it was literally hours, wasn't it? Yeah, that, yeah. Before the day was out. Yeah, that that sort of is slightly strange. I think because it just kind of allows it to be interpreted as a kind of shotgun decision. Oh, you lost the derby, therefore you're out. Which a lot of people did interpret it as, and and you know, sort of made headlines saying, "Well, oh, this is terrible," and all the rest of it. And and is. <laughs> On the other hand, I'm, I'm I'm kind of inclined to say it's quite a bold move, which I, I quite respect from Bernstein. In that, usually, you know, it's the coach that 
is on the end of these decisions and sporting directors are quite protected from them. And it was interesting to see, you know, the likes of Marcus Crusher and all the rest of it come out and say, oh, you know, how terribly Freddie Bobic has been treated here because you did kind of feel, well, hmm, this is interesting because this doesn't usually happen to sporting directors and maybe other sporting directors who tend to go from club to club in the Bundesliga and have a reasonably comfortable time of it and always get another job. They're kind of looking at it and thinking, oh God, I'm subject to the same whims and, and scrutiny, if you like, as a coach normally would be. I can't just sort of send the coach as a sacrificial lamb. And I think it seems to me that Bernstein has, has looked at it and said, I like Schwartz. Well, Bernstein, by by saying Bernstein, I mean, you know, the whole the whole leadership has looked at it and said, we like Schwartz. We think he's doing the right thing. and We think we can work with him and we're less keen on, on the work that which is doing or, or the way he works with us or whatever. And then that's a reasonable thing to sack the sporting director. I mean, yeah, again, the timing is odd, but there may be a reason for that. And yeah, in some ways, I kind of feel if that's a, a strategic decision to change the club more so they're going in one direction, then it's a bold one and doesn't have to be a kind of... I, I don't read it basically as a kind of flailing, let's just send somebody out to, to be sacrificed for these failures. I, I read it as a, a positive decision to say, we are taking this decision to go in a different direction. And... You know, with Neuendorf and I forget the name of the other guy, but you've got two guys there who who know how to and are, and, are, and are very much kind of internal solutions to the problem. So I think the the idea presumably is to stabilize the ship and keep as, as much kind of internal stability for the re- remaining six months as, as there are. And if they think, well, you know, Bobic is not going to pull off any amazing transfer coups in the next few days, then you may as well do that before the end of the transfer window is after it. So, yeah, I think it's one of those that it, it looks very odd. It may make a lot more sense than it seems to and only time will tell really and and yeah just have to wait and see uh, obviously how to fans will be forgiven for not holding out too much hope but. yeah i have to say that the sort of interim solution that they've put forward which you you mentioned in passing there second neuendorf a former player who coached in the youth ranks and was also an assistant under dardai in his last stint along with benny weber who used to be the academy head and Prior to that was sort of a, I don't know, assistant-ish person to Michel Preitz. They're not a terribly convincing solution, but I don't know that they they necessarily have to be in, in the short term. All you have to do is not see the club go down, which is going to be a challenge for anybody. Would have been a challenge for Bobic, I think. I do think it was quite interesting that, you know, Freddie Bobic was very outspoken last week saying that they weren't going to make any more moves before the transfer window shut. And at the press conference where they announced, you know, some of the some of the reasons for, you know, letting him go, everyone was quite insistent that they would make some moves. Not that that's panned out to anything just yet. I too think this is probably a defensible decision, especially if you have a contract situation like the one that I described earlier, but also just on terms of performance. I mean, I was full of hope for Bobic to do something, you know, quite significant at this club compared to what had been happening before. And you look at the list of the players that he brought in, and very, very few of them have been success. I mean, I guess you could say maybe Oliver Christensen, the goalkeeper, Suat Serdar, Marco Richter, and... eh, maybe Mark Oliver Kempf or Augustine Rohel, but most of the players have been okay. And some of, a good number of them have been really bad. You know, a number of players who either didn't look up to it in the Bundesliga, you know, Frederick Bjorkan or Dong Jun Lee, 
you got the <laughs> the, the French guys, Mizian Maulida and Kilian Insona, who can't stay healthy. He basically tried to buy a lot of distressed assets and hope that they would come good. And in almost every case, they didn't. And if you do that window after window after window, your club can very easily go down. And I think that was the direction that the club is heading in and probably is still heading in unless some things really change. Yeah. And I think I think it's interesting that that thing you mentioned about yeah, judging him on results and also mentioning that Neindorf and Weber don't seem that convincing. But I think that's that's kind of exactly it. That's why I think it's a bold decision, because I think there is a tendency in the Bundesliga to be quite conservative with these kinds of decisions in the last sort of ten years. You know, there's a there's a, a merry go round of sporting directors and coaches who you go to in certain situations and, and you know, they've all done the same job at three or four different clubs and they're kind like, of be honest with me. What club is Ruven Schroeder at right now? <laughs> like he's on his fourth or fifth and he just keeps getting hired. And sometimes I read, and I'm like, oh, he's there now. Huh, okay. <laughs> and he's it, it, like the shadow of horse heads just, just pressing around the league. And uh, <laughs> But but it's, I, yeah, I, I kind of think that, that that kind of mindset is is slightly unimaginative. And it does, I, I think a lot of clubs do themselves a disservice with it in some ways and that they get these kind of guys in who who aren't going to, you know, people, they'll make good headlines to start with. And, and if it doesn't work out after a couple of years, they can shift them on and get, get the next guy in. Um, but rarely do you see these guys actually building something really substantial at any club and which did it at Frankfurt to be fair. So there was a reason to think that, yeah, he could maybe do it at Hato or a club where he also had, you know, a kind of a personal history and uh, maybe under different circumstances he might've been able to, but I think to recognize that, that he's not doing it and to say, well, you know, you're only as good as the, as the work you do. And so is anybody is a good thing. And you look at the clubs who have, who have kind of gone maybe down a different tack and said, we're going to take an internal solution like Sebastian Kiel at, at Dortmund, or we're going to take a, a completely curveball solution like Oliver Runata at Onion, or, you know, that's, I think, a, perhaps a, a, a model which, which more clubs should be, should be looking into rather than just going to the same old kind of nine or ten you know very good at, in, in theory at their job but um the bottom line is i mean i did an interview with Dick singer a while ago and he said well look you know when you think about these people they what what incentive you know you see them at dfl meetings and one year they're they're sitting with a plaque in front of them that says you know hanover's x9 station the next year they're sitting there with a plaque in front of them saying Stuttgart or Schalke when you see that year in year out do you really believe these people are working heart and soul for the club they're working for at any given moment? Maybe, maybe they are, but maybe less so than somebody who has only ever worked for one club and for their whole life and could only ever work for one club for their whole life. And and so, yeah, I think that's a, it's, it's not to kind of, yeah, character assassinate these people or say they're mercenaries or anything like that. They are obviously very, very skilled professionals. And as I say, they often do do very good jobs, but um, yeah, if, if it's not working, I think it's a, a good thing that a club is bold enough to say, this isn't working and we're going to try a different tack and we're not just going to kind of go down the usual routes and, and hope it works this time. Yep, 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 yep. You know me. I hope it works out. <laughs> I don't hold out that much hope at this moment. And, you know, you mentioned it earlier when we were talking about Union, like this is our third straight year of having – proper derby talks between us I, I don't want it to end i don't want it to end we've made this not even multiple continents distance is keeping us apart only being in in different different divisions is gonna is gonna keep the berlin derby tradition it's gonna break the chains 
yeah, let's let's actually break the chain in this podcast because we probably don't have a lot more time. We considering we have a little bit else to talk to here in the top half. Let's talk about Bayern for a moment. They were, you know, for a third straight game, they suffered a one-one draw. This last one was uh, at home to Eintracht. So yeah, three games, three points for this English week. I think for a lot of teams that would be a disappointing haul from that sort of a, a opportunity, but for Bayern that is an absolute disaster. Do you see this as a real? I'm going to say it crisis for Bayern, or is this something else? Um, I think it has the makings of one. I mean, you know. PSG game is two weeks away now, and I think if that goes south, then you're looking at a real old-fashioned crisis, the likes of which Bayern haven't had in a while, where Nagelsmann's job is really on the line, and and you know it's the the future is uncertain. It, it, it's always difficult, and we saw what happened in September, right? They they went through a similar run, and then they they turned it around and were five points clear by the time the winter break came around. So with Bayern, it's always possible. But I do get the feeling, and you know the the story with the goalkeeping coach and and all this kind of hullabaloo over Serge Gnabry and and you know these these things going on behind the scenes. You get you get the feeling that the kind of peace and the general you know steadiness at Bayern isn't there in the way it used to be, and and that maybe just Nagelsmann's fault. It may be a combination of the fact that you have Nagelsmann, a guy who, who came with a lot of expectations and isn't quite delivering on them yet, coupled with the fact that you have a very still relatively inexperienced board, uh, people in, in key positions on the board, sporting director and CEO, who are still kind of fighting to prove themselves in the shadow of, of you know people like Hernes and Rummenigge. Yeah, it's, it, it's a transitional phase. And I, and I think probably, to be honest, Nagelsmann, given all that, will get a slightly longer leash than maybe he might have done at a different time in Bayern's history. It's interesting to see Niko Kovac coming out, I think, today saying um, something along the lines of it. It's the head of Wolfsburg's game on your own in the cup. It's harder to play in Berlin at the moment than it is in Munich, which felt like a quite a kind of catty comment directed at his former club, um, suggesting that, that, yeah, perhaps he might have been sacked by this point. And I think, you know, in his shoes, I would probably feel the same, to be honest. It was a different point in, in Bayern's history. And, and, you know, Kovac going through similar wobbles was was already being decried as, as not good enough. Yeah, that was a real, uh, he said tartly comment. Yeah, 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 exactly, with, with one eyebrow raised. And, yeah, I think probably Nagelsmann will, will hold on. But it's, it's getting to a point now where you kind of think the guy's a good talker, but how is he going to talk himself out of this if he loses to PSG? Yep, yep, I think. That's when the heat will really go up. I guess there – I mean, we, we talked earlier about the somewhat improbable coming of Isco to Union Berlin. And this is not really quite the same as that in terms of stature of club or established mode of play in the transfer market. But I think there was a lot of head-scratching on Monday morning when it came out that uh, Joao Cancelo was leaving Manchester City for FC Bayern. How does this – move fit into where things stand with Bayern and their form or with perhaps the higher-ups view of how this squad is being managed or what they think of its quality? Yeah, and I think in some ways it's kind of a classic Bayern sort of transfer in the ilk of, of someone like Ivan Perisic a few years ago or maybe James Rodriguez where you kind of say, okay, there's a high-quality player available who may be able to do a job for us for half a year or a year. 
let's do it. And I think it, yeah, as, as some of those, some of them worked out better than others, those kinds of transfers, but some of them worked out very well. And, and you know, there's a reasonable case to be made that, yeah, Cancelo is the sort of player who who could just bring a bit more kind of, yeah, some of the spark into Bayern that's, that's been lacking the last few weeks. It's in, it, it, I don't know what it says about Benjamin and Pavard's future. I'm not deep enough into the into the topic, but yeah, it seems that there is movement. And yeah, I, I don't think Bayern are, are lacking in quality, really. I, I don't think they're lacking in, in personnel. I think it's a, it's a fair enough transfer to make, but I don't think it's going to revolutionise this squad tactically or, or anything like that. I think the... The issue is, is seems to be a kind of a sense of atmosphere and a sense of culture and, and the fact that there's some kind of leadership. I had to say these were vacuum, but there's not a, as clear distinctions of leadership as there were, say, two or three years ago. And yeah, Joao Cancelo is not going to change that. But he may be the sort of player who comes in and, and because he has a point to prove and, and wants game time, brings a few other players up. And then because it's Bayern, things fall into place, you know, as a domino effect quite quickly because they are still a high quality team. All right, so we've talked about Onion, we've talked about Bayern. Those are the two teams that we've talked about so far who are still live in the DFB Pokal. Bayern are traveling to Mainz, whereas Onion are going to be hosting Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg notably had two wins, followed by a loss in the English week. Mainz, with a lucky dip, they had one of each. You know, they had a, a draw, a loss, and a win. Do you see... Either of those two teams, Mainz or Wolfsburg, taking out Union or Bayern in the cup? Yeah, I do, to be honest. I think Wolfsburg have done really well. I think Union have got probably more focus at the moment on the league and the Ajax games coming up. And I could totally see Urs Fischer rotating a bit and, and giving a few players a rest in this game and, and Wolfsburg being more than good enough to beat them. So, yeah, I can see that happening. I hope it doesn't, but I can see it happening. And Mainz and Bayern, yeah, we've seen Bayern in the last few years. Cup games have not been, um, you know, Khan has said, I think said, oh, you know, cup games come at the perfect time to, to give it the boost to turn things around. But uh, in the last couple of years, it's it's not really uh, happened like that. That's the, the cup games have rather exposed weaknesses rather than sort of covering them up. I, yeah, I think that's a, a less likely upset than Weisberg on Jorn, but yeah, absolutely possible. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take a very quick break, and then we'll talk about a couple of other issues in the league, and then we'll wrap it up. All right, we're back with part two of Talking Foosball Direct, which is a little bit more indirect this week, I have to admit. We're a little later off the mark, but... You know, time zones being what they are, it wasn't the easiest recording to coordinate. Several other results that were, I guess, notable from the weekend that might add up to something interesting. RB Leipzig, 2-1 winners over Stuttgart. They are now in third place in the league. Borussia Dortmund also got a big win over Leverkusen. That one, Leverkusen coming in on the back of, of some good results. I think that was a particularly strong result for Dortmund away from home. Freiburg were also winners, 3-1 over Augsburg. So we have, you know, Leipzig on 35 points, Dortmund on 34 points, Freiburg on 34 points. How do you view the sort of form of those clubs at the moment as well as, and I'll formulate this in a way that you might like, how much pressure can they put on Union for second place? 
<laughs> well, I would like them, I think, in, in this year, because as you know, my feeling about the Bundesliga at the moment is that uh, what it's lacking is not a genuine contender for Bayern, but a club that actually says, we're going to challenge this year. We're not going to uh, say we're aiming for a top four, a top four finish and, and be happy with finishing five points behind Bayern. I think Leipzig and Dortmund have the quality to win the title this year, given Bayern's form. And I think they should be uh, openly saying we are aiming to win the title and, and taking the fight to Bayern and sticking the knife in and wiggling it around at a time when Bayern are feeling a bit vulnerable. I think that's their job in this league. And if their only aim is to attack Union and, and make sure Union and Freiburg don't steal their precious Champions League spots, then that's a damning indictment of their ambition and, and the state of the league but yeah Dortmund is interesting because it's sort of it's one of those where they haven't really played amazingly the last few games but they've they've nicked the results and you know you could say oh well that just shows they're not they're not quite good enough or you could say uh, we usually have a go at them for for playing very well and, and and dropping unnecessary points so maybe it's better that they've they've developed a kind of Ability to to nick a late goal and and make sure they win games when they're when they're not playing so well. That's supposedly what title winning teams do. So yeah, and Leipzig seem to be stabilising and and yeah, going in a, a better direction again. So yeah, as I say, I think I think they're they're perfectly capable of it, and I think they should be be aiming to do that. I think Union, Freiburg, and Frankfurt. I, I would I would love to see two of those teams get in the top four. I think probably in the end we'll we'll see a uh, sort of thing we've seen in the last few years where one of them stays or two of them stay then in there until about late April, early May, and then whoever it is, Dortmund, Leipzig, Leverkusen, Gladbach, whoever, rallies a bit and, and, and knocks them out. But yeah, I would I I think the fact that they're up there and, and and mixing it up in the top four spots puts pressure on Leipzig and Dortmund to actually, you know, do a bit more and that in turn puts pressure on Bayern. So yeah, can only be a good thing. Mm-hmm. All right, not too many more issues I think are worth talking about from this week. And we had a Schalke-Cologne nil-nil draw. That's that's not going to be on the docket. Gladbach were winners against Hoffenheim. That's um, another tough result for the Village Club. I think last week I and my guest Adam Kahn were kind of flirting with the idea that maybe – Hoffenheim could find itself in some relegation bother. Do you feel like that that's a possibility for them, or are they a little bit too strong? Maybe now that they have Thomas Delaney coming in on loan for that to happen. Yeah, I mean that's a it's a good signing. I mean, I I think I, I last time I was on, I I was quite mean about Andre Breitenreiter, and then I I was forced to eat my words for about six weeks at the start of the season when they started brilliantly, but they have kind of been in freefall. I think when you compare the quality of the squad and the way they play when they play well to, let's say, the likes of Augsburg, Bochum, Hertha, Schalke, and for that matter, Stuttgart, then they probably will be okay. But I'm still not convinced about Brighton Reiter. And he's still there, right? <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't missed some some massive thing that happened about two months ago, right? Oh, no. <laughs> good. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm unconvinced, but I think they're probably a bit too good to, to get fully drawn in. Fair enough. That is all for this edition of Talking Foosball Direct, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. Really nice to have you back, Kit. Oh, it's lovely to be here, Matt, as always. Especially, yep. you know, the results keep coming, so let's keep the tradition yep. up. You are the Stadtmeister once again. You can find Kit on Twitter, at Kit Holden. Pick up his book, Scheisse, Growing Up, all about his beloved SFC Union Berlin. If you want to contact me, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman over there. Look out for Talking Foosball Extra. It's coming this week with Nick and the gang. This is from Nick and Molly, y'all. 